Louder! <laughs> Have you been nice this year? It's me, Billy, and I don't like the fat man. And what's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and today we have a very special Christmas episode for all of you out there. So what we're doing here is myself and the other hosts, as well as a couple of people from other podcasts, will be giving all of you Christmas-related film recommendations based on the theme of the show. So I will start things off with my pick, which is 1989's Deadly Games, also known as Dial Code Santa Claus, Game Over, or Hide and Freak. He's nine years old. His name is Thomas. He's a little genius. He believes in Father Christmas. His two favorite pastimes computers and superheroes December 24th midnight hidden under the dining room table Thomas waits for Father Christmas but what he does not know is that he is about to experience the most frightening night in his entire life Finally met his match. Wanted Mr. Xmas. And that is from director Renee Manzor. And starring Elaine Lalanne, Louise Decru, Brigitte Fossi, and Stefane Legros. The plot. Thomas is a typical 80s kid. He loves computers, role-playing games, and his dog. While mom is away at the office on Christmas Eve, Thomas and his grandfather are left home alone, perfectly timing for an angry, perverted, bloodthirsty Santa Claus to raid down the chimney. But hell have no fury like a mulleted 10-year-old with an arsenal of toys. This movie is absolutely crazy, and I love everything about it. So it was made a year before Home Alone, and even the director noticed some similarities and even tried to sue John Hughes at one point, but of course never really got anywhere. Uh, and before I found it, I never even heard of the fucking film. I actually found it on Vinegar Syndrome's website, and then I saw that it came to Shudder not too long after that, and of course I gave it a watch, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean... 
what can you not love about this movie? It has like a Rambo style opening with some pretty badass music. The kid has one of the sickest mullets in film history. He drives a Ford Taurus and it's a stick and the kid drives it like a goddamn pro. Most people today can't even drive a stick, so props to him. He plays D&D, which is awesome. And if you notice in the background in his bedroom, you can see a poster for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Shocking Dark, and Lucio Fulci's Conquest. And I just thought that was a cool little uh, Easter egg as well. And uh, they reference a lot in the film this system called Minitel, which I guess is a pre-internet thing that they used in Europe. It's it's weird. It's cool. It's just it's used a lot and referenced a lot in the film. So I, I wanted to bring it up. It's it's cool to see something like that. And it, it also goes into like this virtual reality because there's a part where he like does like this 3D render of his house so he can like activate all the cameras and locate the positions of the cameras so we can monitor where Santa Claus is and in his house. It's really cool. I don't want to spoil any of the plot points, but it's like Home Alone, but a lot darker. The cinematography is completely on point, and I think the acting is really goddamn believable, even though most of it's, you know, it's French and it's subtitled. I do have to say that the film features some animal violence, and if you're kind of sensitive to that stuff, Will you will be forewarned? Uh, I will not spoil what it is because it's kind of a important part of the plot. But wanted to give you guys a little warning before you jumped in there. Like I said, it is available on the Vinegar Syndrome website and as well as Shutter. It's a pretty good fucking film, and I hope that you guys can uh, check it out at some point. Thank you for uh, joining us this year. Thank you for supporting the podcast, and thank you for supporting Project Louder. I'm excited for everything that we have in store for season four. And I can't wait for you to hear the rest of the guys' recommendations. See you next year. Well, well, well. Merry Christmas, y'all motherfuckers out there in podcast land. It is I, you DKB here, back for another motherfucking episode of LCE. And this week I am here to give you my two cents and a recommendation on a film that you should fucking watch this Christmas because it is absolutely disturbingly, terrifyingly, mind-bending, mind-melting, fantastically fucking fun. And every time I watch this film, it never gets old. It's something, a film that I can always watch and pick something new up every time that I've missed previously before. So anywho, let's get right into it. So the film I'm going to be talking about is The Lodge from 2019. So, how would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it's a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? It's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except her. Repent, and you will find salvation. Guys! Things are very uncomfortable between us, and we're stuck in a house together. Makes no sense. What? I heard something. 
And the directors of that film are Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala, who directed Goodnight Mummy in 2014. Starring Riley Keough as Grace. You can see her in Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. It Comes at Night from 2017. And Logan Lucky from 2017. We also have Jaden Martell as Aiden Hall. You can see him in Midnight Special, Midnight Special from 2016. It Remake from 2017. And Knives Out from 2019. We also have Leah McHugh as Mia Hall, who is also in Hot Summer Nights from 2017, Along Came the Devil from 2018, and Eternals from 2021. Uh, fuck yeah, gun. Richard Armitage as Richard Hall, who was in Captain America First Avenger 2011, The Hobbit 2012, and Hannibal, the TV series in 2015. Last but not least, we also have Alicia Silverstone as Laura Hall. You can see her in Hideaway from 1995, Clueless in 1995, and Blast from the Past in 1999. Let me give you motherfuckers a taste what's to come with the plot rundown. So the Lodge follows a family who retreat to their remote winter cabin over the Christmas holidays. When the father is forced to abruptly depart for work, he leaves the children Aiden and Mia in the care of his new girlfriend, Grace. Isolated and alone, a blizzard traps them inside the Lodge as terrifying events summon spectres from Grace's dark past. So unfortunately, I was unable to find a budget for this film. Um, it's kind of rare that that happens, especially being a 2020 film, but the I, I watched countless interviews, read countless interviews with the two directors, and they do not talk about it whatsoever. But judging by the state of their previous film and this film, I couldn't picture it being in between well, any more than seven to ten million at all so yeah I, I dare say it's a very low budget these two directors like to keep their work grounded um not blown over the top with the budget and i think that's why the, their f- films work so fucking well anywho let's move on to some additional information so the majority of my information is over at slash film uh 2020 and it's an interview with the the lodge directors themselves and they discuss the film so Severin on writing the script is quoted by saying, I think the original script felt a bit more conventional because it didn't take the story seriously. We loved the story, but we were interested in what this story would look like if it were real. If we took it as serious and a very real thing. The original script also ended with a twist. We felt like we were not as interested in that twist, but in what came afterwards. That was our starting point. Then we started rewriting the ending, and then we ended up rewriting everything to make our ending work. So now we have Veronica on the location itself and she is quoted by saying, it's a real location and it took us a very long time to find it. We could hardly make the film because it was so very late in the game that we found the house. Something like two weeks before the first shooting day, it was very important that the house looks isolated. If there was a highway or other neighbors, they don't care. They started showing us houses that were not what we considered isolated. Because the house is a character in the film and it needs good casting, for us it was an extension of the mother. This is that kind of this Rebecca theme, in quotations, the Hitchcock movie, about this person who is absent but still a looming presence. We did that through all the religious symbolism in the house, belonging to the mother and also this character who has a religious past. 
So we basically have both Severin and Veronica talking about the story itself. And Severin is started off by saying, we try to make films that we ourselves would like to see in cinema. And those are films that might be disturbing or even films that will hurt you. I think that it's just something we want to experience ourselves. And I think you can't plan on making a film just to make people feel bad. Then Veronica steps in by saying, we realized that it was really depressing and tough to watch. We have a film festival in Vienna called Slash Film Festival, and they opened 10 years ago with The Road. We went there to present our film and we said this is the most depressing film since the road and you chose to play it and we really like that movie and it's also very apocalyptic and bleak so finally we have both directors talking about balancing the themes of the film and crafting this guessing game with the audience severin is quoted by saying i think the lodge works as a place because we thought about it a lot how to shoot it and if you cut it or pace it very quickly you won't get this atmosphere and this feeling of dread in the house we also shot the film like goodnight mummy in chronological order which was super strange for american producers it takes more time and less efficient in technical ways but for the actors it let them grow into the story for us it's like hiking when you start, you ask how far you can go, and then if you ask me at the beginning of the day, I may say 10 kilometers, but as the day goes on, you might end up walking much further than expected. So if you shoot it in the right order, you might end up further and in a darker place than originally imagined. We now have Veronica stating, when we write a script or rewrite one, we always think of scenes. If they have much dialogue, we always think... Could we tell the same thing with no dialogue? So we always try to kind of avoid too much talking and this has the effect of creating a bigger mystery than you usually have. I like that because of the silence people have to fill in the gaps with their own thoughts or feelings or interpretations and this is also something american producers are not used to because we like an audience who has questions but they are always afraid someone ends up with a question. Everyone sees the movie in different ways and we are not interested in making this one formula that works for everyone. There are better people to do that than us. So we like to play with the audience, ask them questions, and have them as questions. We like that game. And there you bloody have it. My additional information for The Lodge 2019. Now... Let's move on to where I discovered this bad boy and I discovered this on Amazon Prime while searching for a film with an extremely bad hangover. What a film it is. What a film it was. It definitely fulfilled my needs uh, while I was eating a box of K-Fry, Colonel Sanders, KFC, Dirty Bird. Um, good time, good time. Now, you can either rent or buy this bad boy over at Google Play, YouTube or Amazon Prime, pretty much any streaming service. Um, but a physical release uh, of a Blu-ray can be purchased through Amazon for $17 dues. Now, I'm pretty sure that's 17 American, not Australian. Now, lastly, before I head off, I just wanted to explain to you the reason why I chose this film, and that is mainly because it's that genre film that resonates with me. Um, I guess you could say it's my love for this mind-melting, twisted tale of psychological horror, you know, that just ends up being too damn disturbing, even for me, to handle at times. Um, I think this film really captures this overall tone of realism and it explains it in a way that definitely gets under your fucking skin. Um, I, I guess it's all due to this 
I, I guess it's due to the way that this film is scripted and visually presented. I just think it's genius. I think it's genius. Um, it's this very morbid story. It's not too over the top, but when the credits roll, it definitely leaves you to sit there and think about what in the absolute fuck did I just witness? So on that note, I really wanted to thank each and every single one of you that tunes into our podcast every week. We really appreciate it. Um, And I actually really had fun doing this episode, recommending this amazing film to you out there. I hope you watch it. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and absolutely a motherfucking Happy New Year. Party hard, people. Party fucking hard. And I will catch you next season on LCE. This is your doppelganger Kanga Banger all the way from down under signing out saying, I'll catch you mother lickers next year. Ta-ta, peoples. Hey, happy holidays, guys. Slick Nick here for the Christmas special of Lights, Camera, Exploitation. Uh, My film that I will be recommending to all of you lovely listeners out there is 1980s Christmas Evil, a.k.a. You Better Watch Out or Terror in Toyland. I told you he'd be happy that we remembered him. This Christmas, Santa's going to make everyone happy. The grown-ups. And the kids. Christmas Evil. The non-believers. Watch out! And the screamers. And this Christmas... You better believe in Santa, or he'll slay you. Merry Christmas, Frank. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. Uh, and that is by director Lewis Jackson. Uh, this is the final film uh, that Jackson directed. He only directed three movies between 1970 and 1980, this being the final one, though he did go on to produce uh, later on. Um, there is a familiar name in this, if you have been listening to all of the episodes of LCE. Uh, Brandon Maggard uh, is the lead in Christmas Evil. He was also in 1980s uh, Dress to Kill by Brian De Palma, which we have covered before on the show. Um, other than that, there is also Jeffrey DeMunn, uh, Diane Hull, and Andy Fenwick, uh, who are also starring in this film. So anyway, so let's kind of get into what it's about a little bit. Harry Sadling is an employee for the Jolly Dreams Toy Factory. He works hard and loves the joy of making toys for all the good girls and boys. But Harry has quite the dark side since he was a child he knew he had to hide. Tired of seeing the lack of holiday cheer or respect from his peers, Harry has taken upon himself to make it an unforgettable Christmas this year. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> I uh, I found a few interesting little tidbits of information about this movie while looking into it. Um, turns out this is actually uh, John Waters, uh, his, fam- his favorite 
Christmas Thanksgiving film, his favorite holiday film. Uh, apparently he's watched it many, many times, highly praises it, and recommends it whenever people are looking for holiday movies to watch. Uh, so this is not only a recommendation from me, but also apparently from John Waters, which you might take him a little bit more seriously than I. Anyway, uh, the film was written in the early to mid-70s, I believe 72. Um, Lewis Jackson claims that he came up with the idea for the story after, uh, <laughs> supposedly, uh, smoking a large amount of marijuana and having a vision in which he saw Santa Claus uh, clutching a knife uh, <laughs> and coming after him. So he wrote it around that time uh, and started putting it together, or at least slowly piecing it together. Um, he did not end up releasing the film until he could get more funding for it. He did write and produce the film as well, uh, but he was not able to really secure the funding, at least until the market was ready for it. So it wasn't really until after Halloween uh, had its sort of breakout success of a, of a holiday-themed horror movie in 1978. Um, so in addition to just sort of that, that era of of filmmaking. Uh, it did also get caught up in the UK video nasty uh, sort of fiasco whirlwind that they were going through then. Um, the creators were never fully charged with obscenity, but the film was actually seized uh, and confiscated in the UK for violations against the Obscene Publications Act. Uh, so it is a labeled video nasty as well uh, for those who are especially into those those sorts of movies. Um, so the the film, when you first watch it, may come across as sort of an average holiday slasher, uh, especially given its its sort of similarities and release time to Halloween, uh, just which was just a couple years earlier. Um, but it does change over time as the film goes on. The second half, I, second half, sort of seems to be more of the vision uh, of what. Lewis Jackson wanted it to be, um, because he claims that it was supposed to be uh, similar to monster movies, such as Frankenstein or The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, something like that. You know, the uh, the townspeople come together with their pitchfork, pitchforks and torches, and they, they chase the evil monster all the way back into its castle or out of town, um, which the <laughs> direct scene uh, I am referencing there in this film, without spoiling it too much for you, is the reason why I remembered it when trying to look uh, for a film to recommend to you guys a uh, big deja vu moment for a certain scene uh, in the uh, the sort of third act of the movie, um, which does in and of itself uh, have a little little slapstick. The movie doesn't take itself massively seriously. It is pretty refreshing and it does kind of keep it fun uh, because the premise for it is pretty ridiculous and it's pretty amazing and it's a great time. And if you're going to watch it, you absolutely should get a couple people, get some eggnog, get some non-alcoholic eggnog if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, just gather, gather some people around. Watch this movie about e evil Santa Claus. It's, it's a fantastic time. I guarantee you, you'll love it. Uh, one, <laughs> one last thing that I was able to find um, that you may notice if you are old enough to know of Geraldo Rivera. Uh, the movie does take a sort of tongue-in-cheek stab at Geraldo, who, for those who don't know, uh, is an investigative reporter from the 80s who believed every single thing that every person ever told him. Um, Satanists were running the music industry. There was a giant just tunnel filled with gold under like a city, just a whole bunch of bullshit, and it's fantastic, uh, and it's really funny. 
uh, to see them take a jab at him in this film. Uh, but anyway, the places that I was able to locate this, uh, just so that y'all know where to find it, you can purchase it, uh, the Blu-ray DVD combo. It, it is by Vinegar Syndrome, but I was not able to locate it on their actual catalog on their website. I was only able to find the combo on Amazon, but it is on there for about 20 bucks if you are interested in owning a copy. Um, if you are Region B and unable to buy the Amazon version, Diabolic DVD that our very own Brody uh, tends to use himself also has a copy that you can purchase. If you are just looking to go ahead and stream it, uh, you can stream it on Prime Video. If you do not have Prime Video, you actually do have a free option. It is streaming on Tubi. Um, it will show up if you look up Christmas Evil, but it is listed as you better watch out on Tubi. Anyways, guys, uh, I hope you all have a fantastic new year, uh, the happiest of any holiday that you are celebrating this year, and I hope you all join us next year for season four of LCE. Love you. Slick Nick out. Mwah. Hey there, folks. Cam from the Big Bad Beetle Bros here to talk to you about one of my more uh, memorable Christmas movies uh, that I discovered recently. I couldn't think of anything better to talk to you guys about today than Hulk Hogan's Santa with Muscles from 1996. In the season of Santa, there are two kinds of people. The naughty... And the nice. I got 50 bucks for the first elf that brings me Santa Claus. Hulk Hogan is Blake Thorne, and he's definitely naughty. To make his getaway, he's going to make a mockery of the world's most beloved hero. Do you have a minute? Fox me, a little brat. That's him. But sometimes, the only way you can feel the spirit of Christmas... Where'd he go? ...is to be hit over the head with it. What? It's showtime. Now, this confused bad boy is Santa, like you've never seen him before. A bearded basher of bad guys. Yeah! A hero with a silly hat. <laughs> a Robin Hood in red. Santa! Yeah! Who were those guys, anyway? Oh, they were from Mr. Frost. He's been clearing out the whole neighborhood, and no one knows why. And he's got three days to foil a band of evil scientists. Assemble the team. We're taking the orphanage. Wait till Santa hears about this. He'll kick your butt to New Year's. <sighs> Santa, you slay me. Hulk Hogan is Santa with an attitude. Keep the milk and cookies warm. Santa with some friends. Santa with a mission. How are we supposed to get over this? And most of all, he's Santa with muscles. They can't start Christmas without me. Can they? There have been many Santas. You're not Santa. You're fed. But there's only one named Hope. Well, all you had to do was knock. Santa with muscles. I uh, actually discovered this movie last year while we were looking for movies that came out around 1996 to 98 for the Big Bad Beetle Bros Christmas special, the holiday special, and uh, stumbled upon this gem of a film. Uh, so this was directed by John Rolowski. Uh, like I said, it was it was a uh, came out in 1996. It's starring Hulk Hogan, uh, Don Stark, Ed Bigley Jr., Mila Kunis and Clint Howard. Uh, and don't 
let those names fool you. It is not an all-star film. Uh, so the plot, a basic rundown, it is kind of your titular uh, holiday kids pseudo-action movie. So Hulk Hogan plays Blake Thorne, a conceited self-made millionaire who sells bodybuilding supplements and equipment. Uh, they've made him a multi-millionaire. His picture's on all of the boxes. Uh, it's very timely for 96 and Hogan's kind of persona at the time. Uh, so Hogan's playing, uh, you know, they're, one day they're playing recklessly playing uh, paintball with uh, a bunch of his uh, cohorts, a bunch of his employees, actually. He gets targeted by police. He's chased uh, to a shopping mall because uh, the police think that he's a terrorist because he's got all these guns. Chased through a, stop, a shopping mall. He hides by putting on a Santa costume, slides down a garbage chute to escape the police, smacks his head on the garbage chute, and gets amnesia because, of course, he does. So as he's coming to, Lenny, played by Don Stark, is uh, the kind of the elf character. He works for the mall. He's trying to find their their Santa, and uh, he mistakes Hulk Hogan for the mall Santa, puts the rest of the suit on him, and Blake Thorne just automatically starts thinking that he actually is the real Santa Claus. Uh, meanwhile, the evil scientist Ebner Frost, played by Ed Bigley Jr., tries to take over an orphanage or orphanages, an orphanage in order to gain access to the magical crystals underneath it and dispatches his henchmen to destroy it. Blake, discovering that being Santa has made him a better person and that Frost wants to destroy the very same he, orphanage he grew up in, manages to rescue the children. Uh, these children include Mila Kunis. Frost and his henchmen are arrested, but the orphanage is destroyed due to the overload of the crystals. So Blake opens his mansion as a new home for the orphans. Um, so... Real quick, the crystals are, it's unclear if they are magical or if they are some kind of energy source. It's very clear. It is very like high sci-fi level. It's, it feels very much like something we would expect out of a Saban show, out of Power Rangers or Beetleborgs or something like that. Um, at one point, Hulk Hogan and one of the villains uh, both grab a crystal and use them like lightsabers uh, and and fight each other. It is ridiculous. Uh, the entire film is one-stop shop for campiness. It is, uh, if you if you think of like Suburban Commando or, I don't know, even even Hulk Hogan in uh, WWE or, or, or uh, WCW or any of his like wrestling appearances or personas, this is not that. This is like lowest bottom of the barrel point for Hulk Hogan as an actor. Um, and it's, you know, it's very weird to see because 96 is kind of like at, right after uh, a lot of his uh, kind of highlight films. Uh, so this film was only released for two weeks in theaters. Can't imagine why. It's actually really hard to find what the precise budget was for this movie. I know it was low. Uh, they brought in uh, between domestic and uh, international, they brought in right around $200,000, $250,000, which probably barely paid for Hogan himself to be in the movie. If I had to guess, um, it was only in theaters, like I said, for two weeks. So they definitely didn't have an opportunity to really make any money back off of that. Uh, they made a good amount of money back in some uh, direct to DVD or uh, well, DVD and VHS releases later as the years went by. Uh, one of the producers for the film was actually Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street himself. Uh, this took place. I, I mentioned WCW earlier. I'm not a huge wrestling guy like some of the other Project Louder bros. So uh, 
forgive me if I say some of this wrong, but around 96 or maybe late 95, uh, Hogan had turned heel, which, you know, it, it's, he becomes a villain type character. And uh, he started going by Hollywood Hulk Hogan um, when he joined the WCW. And this was like a few months before the release of this movie. Um, and that kind of really clashed with the persona that he was putting on in this film of the, uh, yeah, the eccentric asshole millionaire at the beginning, but then this kind of sentimental guy, this, you know, guy who takes on the persona of Santa and brings in all these orphans uh, into his home. And that really clashed with this new Hollywood Hulk Hogan uh, persona that he was putting on in the WCW. So I I guess that was a big factor in uh, audience reaction to the movie and kind of fans of Hogan didn't think that it fit who Hogan was at that point. Um, uh, So supposedly, and this is another thing that I can't entirely confirm, much like the budget, um, but it's listed on all of the trivia pages everywhere with no credit at all. Uh, Supposedly, the original author's draft was changed so much that he actually, uh, or he or she, sued to have their name removed from the film. Again, can't confirm it, but I would believe it. Um, it is 100% campy Saturday morning cartoon all the way through. It very much feels like something that would pop up on a, uh, like I said, a Saban Kids show, a Fox Kids TV original. Um, like I said in the beginning, I discovered this while looking for movies that were based and released in 1996 for our Beetle Bros Christmas special last year, and it has not left my mind ever since. Um, it's been one of those things that we just keep coming back to and referencing because it is so wild and weird and not very many people remember it or remember it in full, uh, which, you know, didn't have a big theatrical release, uh, doesn't really count as a cult hit even. Um, it is uh, somewhat infamous in that it is constantly listed every year on worst Christmas or holiday movie lists. So if you got your Watch Mojo type lists, this is going to be on that almost always right up there with uh, Santa, Co- Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, uh, all those like horrible, campy, bad holiday movies. This is always in the like top five or top ten of a big list. Um, the ways that you can watch this, so they actually have a Mill Creek Blu-ray release of this. It came out a few years ago. Um, I didn't watch it that way, but I'm a little surprised that it exists. Uh, we watched it on YouTube. It's available on YouTube. It's available on uh, Amazon Prime for purchase or rent um, in, in a decent condition. I'm sure that uh, the Blu-ray is significantly better to watch. Um, that has been my recommendation for your uh, weird, low budget, uh, you know, no franchise, no reboot, currently available in some fashion holiday movie that uh, myself and um, I, I, I won't speak on behalf of all the Beetle Bros, but I think that this this would be the movie that we see as fitting that bill. So I hope you guys all have a great holiday season and a great new year and that uh, the whole Project Louder team and the whole Project Louder family has just an absolutely amazing 2022, um, not just for the podcast, but for all of our ventures and uh, everybody's uh, things that they're working on going into the new year. I want to thank TJ for welcoming the Beetle Bros and uh, myself into the Project Louder team this past year and for just absolutely uh, making us feel at home and really uh, giving us a place to start new projects and join other projects and work with so many amazing creators and, 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 uh, you know, content connoisseurs, uh, to really put together what I think is a a really kick-ass catalog of, uh, podcasts and, um, 
you know, all other sorts of projects. And uh, I think it's just been an amazing opportunity for all of us. And we can't thank uh, specifically TJ and all of the guys over at Project Louder enough for welcoming all of us in with open arms and helping us with our side projects. Um, and of course, inviting us to do amazing, fun little crossover things like this, where we get to talk about uh, dorky things that we have discovered on our podcasting adventure. So with that, I've been Cam. Thank you guys so much. Have a Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm.